This is a podcast from Real Life Sango in Clarksville, Tennessee. Thank you for being a part of our online community. We would love for you to join us at 8.30 or 10 a.m. on Sunday morning at the City Forum. In the meantime, if you would like to share a prayer request, make a financial contribution, or take a step at Real Life, you can text MISSION to 97000. Now enjoy the podcast. I'm so fired up. Next weekend is our student fall retreat at Jonathan Creek, about an hour away from here. And um, I love when groups in our church get away uh, to turn the volume down on the world and turn the volume up on the Lord. And I'm just praying with great expectation for what God's going to do in our students. If you're a student here, 6th grade through 12th grade, and you're on the fence, get off the fence, get registered today. Um, The student retreat is going to be awesome. I used to preach at student retreats and camps all the time, traveling around before I got married, a little bit in our early years of of getting married. And without fail, almost every retreat, I would have a student come up to me and say something like, I think I've found God's plan for my life. I mean, it was like a big moment for them. And, and, And they had had this like breakthrough. They had had this like voice from on high. They had had this moment with the Lord where they thought, they thought that God had spoken to them about their big plan for their life. And we often obsess about the wrong things. And it was like kind of, it was, it was almost like a script. Like I could almost predict what it was going to, because they were going to share something about what they were going to do in their life. Usually about a vocation or something like that. And without fail, we just obsess about the wrong things. And we think God's big plan for our life fundamentally has something to do with our job. And that makes sense, doesn't it? You know, in the sense that like we give our minutes, moments, and days, the, the full bulk of our life is waking up, going to work, you know, spending the majority of our... So, so we like to think about, well, okay, what are we going to do in that space? But when we think about it that way, we miss God's big plan for our life. In Romans 8, I hope you're already there. In Romans 8, verses 28 and 29, um, we get to see God's great plan for our life. From time to time when I'm preaching and preparing to preach, God moves in my heart in such a way, and, and, and I think that this is good and, and healthy, I begin to think about what if this was the last sermon that I got to preach to my kids? Many of you know I've got four kiddos. If, if, I, had, if I had one more shot to preach one last message to my, if I had one last shot to impart from my soul out of God's word what I thought might leave the greatest lasting impact in their life, what might I impart to them? It's kind of a great way to prepare for every sermon, you know, what if this was my last sermon to preach? Um, But this morning, the text that we're looking at in Romans 8, I kind of feel like this might be up for grabs if I really did have one last sermon to preach to my kids, that this might be one of the texts. Definitely top five texts of if I had to pick in all the scripture to pick one text to say, okay, I got one last shot to say to my kids, hear this, hear this. I think this text that we're looking at this morning might be, it might be one of those texts. Often when I'm doing pastoral care with our church, 
I'll find myself where I need to say something really important to, to somebody that I'm caring for. Or I'll find myself where I feel like I need to say something that um, may need a, a spoonful of sugar to help the medicine go down. You know, the Bible says that the wounds of a friend can be trusted. And um, sometimes the truth is very painful. It's, it's very hard to swallow and you need, a little, you need a little medicine, you know, you need a little sugar to help the medicine go down, so to speak. And oftentimes I'll, I'll tell people that I'm counseling with, um, if you were my son or if you were my daughter, this is what I would tell you. I, I, I do that because I want to convey a level of care, a level of compassion, a level of love to the person that I'm speaking to, and a level of honesty. <laughs> In other words, I'm not going to lead my kids astray. So, so what I'm telling you is like the most blood earnest thing I can tell you on this matter. Um, but oh, how I love my kids. <laughs> And um, so, so this morning, church, um, if, if, if I had one last message to preach to you, church, this, this would be in the top five. Um, two, two short little verses. Um, if you've been tracking with us in Romans 8, you know that Paul has been addressing uh, hope in the midst of suffering. At Romans 8, it's just chocked full with hope in the midst of suffering. And he continues this theme, and as he unpacks this theme of hope in the midst of suffering, he's actually explaining to us what the, the Holy Spirit does in our life, the, transform, the transformation that the Holy Spirit brings about in our life. And how practical is that, that the Holy Spirit would show up and do something significant in our lives in the midst of suffering? It's when we feel, God, it's when we feel our need for God the most, isn't it? It's when we cry out to God the most earnestly is when we're hurting, when we're suffering, when we're confused, when we're broken. And, um, and we, we tend to be a little more sensitive to what God's doing uh, in, the midst of, in the midst of suffering. On the podcast this week, I was talking with Grant, and he brought up um, the, this little post from Kayla Martin. Kayla and Alex gave a, a testimony a couple of weeks ago about their son, Enzo. And, and Kayla, in her little Instagram post, wrote um, how... how how painful and heartbreaking the moment she was in the hospital with Enzo. So right after they gave a testimony, Enzo ended up in the hospital for, I think, over a week. And, and they were just super, super scared about his medical condition. But what Kayla wrote in this post was that she had never felt like closer to the Lord and more honored by his presence in, in, like the, in, in, the, in the moment that she was the most scared and hurting because of her son. And so the Apostle Paul in Romans 8 is giving us hope in the midst of suffering that comes from the Spirit of God. And we see this in just a couple of verses. And so here's my, here's my prayer for us this morning, church, is that we would see, that we would see with clarity, that we would see and we would celebrate God's great plan for our life. So we would see it. <laughs> You don't have to keep searching. You don't have to keep wondering. You don't have to go on the retreat to take hold of God's great plan for your life. You don't have to go up on a mountain and get, you know, written in tablets. God has spoken clearly. 
It's my prayer that in these couple of verses we'll see and that we'll celebrate God's great plan for our life. Are you ready? Let's look at it together. Romans 8, 28 and 29. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Let's read it again, pray, and then we'll dig in. I would love for you to follow along with a copy of the sacred scriptures. So just grab a Bible, Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray in Jesus' name and by your Holy Spirit, speak to us personally, powerfully, in a way that we would never forget this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing that we see is just simply this, be this person. Be this person. What do I mean? Look at verse 28 again. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Be what person? Be a person that loves God. In other words, the Apostle Paul is speaking about a promise for a particular group of people, and he addresses them as those that love God. My, my plea to you today, my, my challenge to you today is to be a people that love God. Love Him from a true heart. The Apostle Paul is actually identifying these people as those that love God. He's identifying who this great plan is for. Who's this great plan for? It's for those that love God. In other words, if you're not identified as one that loves God, then everything that Paul's about to say about this great plan, it doesn't yet apply to you if you don't love God. Loving God is the most basic Christian virtue. It's the activity of our heart. Why would anyone love a God that they have not seen? It's because the Bible says that God has first loved us. The Bible tells us in Romans 5.8, God demonstrated his own love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You don't have to wonder if you're loved. You don't have to doubt that you're loved. You don't even have to feel loved. You can put your faith in the rock solid truth that God loves you because Jesus died for you. The Bible says greater love has no person than this and that he laid down his life for his, for his friends. God loves you. God loves you today. He knows everything about you and he loves you still. <laughs> he knows your most wicked thoughts. He knows you on your worst days. God knows you and he loves you. And, and when we get a taste of this love, it, the love of God is so rich. It's so powerful. David in Psalm 63 verse 3 said that God's love is better than life. That's how rich and wonderful his love is. And when we get a taste for that love, it begins to change our hearts in such a way that we begin to love God. And we don't love all the other things that we could love. Paul says in Romans 8, 28, for those who love God, there's a big promise and a big plan. 
for those that, that love God. What we love defines who we are. Have you ever thought about it that way? What you love really defines who and what you are. I love this because when, when, our, when our love feels small, it's easy to wonder, well, am I, am I, am I part of this group that Paul's talking about? <laughs> like, I feel like my love for God's really small today. We'll look back, look at verse 28 again. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. It's almost, it's almost as if, as Paul's writing this, he's anticipating like that fear that we might have of, well, what if my love for God is not enough? Like, what if I don't love him enough? Like, I want a great plan for my life. Like, I want to I take hold of this promise. I want your promise to be for me, God. What if I don't love you enough? And, and so then he identifies the people of God in a different way. The people of God are not just those that love God, but they're those that have been called according to his purpose. Let's be honest, there's many days that we feel like our love is small for God. Hey, we know that the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Love God with everything that you are. In so many days we feel like, man, I'm just, I'm just loving God with like a fourth of what I got. Anybody feel that way? When you feel like your love is small, look to the text of Scripture and see how God identifies you. You're one that loves God, but you're also one that has been called according to his purpose. Do you remember the day that the Spirit of God convicted you of your sins? Do you remember the day that you got spiritual sight and you saw that you were a sinner in need of a Savior? Do you remember that day? Do you remember that day that you opened up your heart in faith to the Lord for the first time? That's what God, through Paul, wants you to think about. When you feel like your love is small, so small that you don't even know if you can identify yourself as a Christian, right? Like, I, I don't even know if I'm a Christian, my love for God feels so small today. You go back to looking at that moment where God convicted you of your sins and you came alive in Christ, where you were born, you were born again. Maybe you're here this morning and, and that hasn't yet happened for you. It can happen today. It can happen today. You can sense the Spirit's conviction of your sin. You can open up your heart in faith. You can turn to Him and you can become a brand new creation. You can become a part of the family of God. You can have this new relationship with God where you talk to Him and He talks to you and His Spirit comes to live inside of you and comforts you and guides you. That can happen for you today if you turn from your sin and trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And then you begin to love Him because He's loved you. At the end of the day, I would say to my kids, I don't care what you do with your job. I don't care where you live. I don't care how much money you make. I don't care what you accomplish. I don't care how popular you are. I only care if you love God. Deeply and passionately. The truth is, is that in life, you can get a thousand things right, but if you get this wrong, everything else goes wrong. You can get everything perfect, you can get everything lined up, your life can be filled with all these, these great acts of benevolence, but if from a genuine heart, you're not loving God, your life is not postured at a place where you're living for Him because you love Him, then you get it all wrong. My grandpa came to Christ very late in life. He didn't want to think about heaven. He didn't want to think about hell. He just kept putting it off. 
Every time anybody would talk to him, he just kept shoving it down. I don't want don't to talk about that. I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to hear about that. I don't want to talk about that. And then he got cancer. And when you get cancer, it kind of forces you to think about heaven, hell, God, reality. And a week from the day he was baptized, he went to be with the Lord. And my pastor couldn't make it to the funeral, but he recorded a cassette tape. You guys remember what those are? (laughs) He recorded a cassette tape that was played at his funeral. And I'll never forget what he said on this cassette tape at my grandfather's funeral. He said, he said, Shorty Gill, that was my grandfather's nickname and last name. Shorty Gill accomplished more in his last few months of life than most people accomplish in their whole life. Why? Because in his last few months of life, he began to love God. He began to love God. Paul's writing here, and he's got a great plan that he's, that he's opening up for the people of God. He's got a great promise that he's showing, but it only applies to those that love God. And Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. He, he addresses some of the religious leaders in his day, and he says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In other words, love for God is both affection and action. It's not just action. It's affection and action. You see this in 1 Corinthians 13, where the apostle Paul says, look, you can give your body to be burned as a martyr and have not love. What? How can you, how can you be a martyr for God and not have love? It can just be exterior action. In other words, he, the Apostle Paul is describing love as affection from a true heart and action. Listen, it does not matter what you say about whether or not you love God. What matters is if you actually love God. You're like, Pastor, I just don't know. How can I love God more? Sit under the waterfall of his free and perfect love for you. <laughs> just bring all your doubts and all your brokenness and all your sin and all your questions and open up your heart wide and say, God, I'm going to let you love me today. And I'm going to keep letting you love me until my heart shifts and begins to love you. And you don't look for God's love in all the circumstances of your life. You look to God's love to the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus went to the cross to die in our place, to absorb the wrath of God for us so that we would never have to taste judgment. Oh, it's so good. That's why we sing Amazing Grace. We didn't deserve God's love. He graciously has given it to us. So why is it so important to love God? Why is it so important? It's because it comes with a promise. It comes with a promise. That's the next idea this morning is trust this promise. Be this person. What do I mean? Be the person that loves God. Be that person and trust this promise. What promise? Look back at verse 28 with me again. And we know That for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. What's the promise? All things work together for good. For good. (laughs) Not all things work together to be neutral in your life. Not all things work together and it's going to be okay in your life. Not all things work together and there's, something, there's going to be something lacking in your life. No, all things work together for good. Not like okay, not average, not new, for good. All things, every little thing, every moment, every minute, 
every day, every week, every month, every season, every event, every encounter, every circumstance. All things work together for good. Not for average, not for okay, not for neutral, for good. What a promise. What a promise this is. Psalm 62 verse 2 The psalmist says, he only is my rock and salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. Listen, this promise in Romans 8, 28, that God works all things out for good. For those that love him, for those that are called according to his purpose. Listen, it becomes an anchor for your soul, an anchor for your life, so that when the hardest day comes, you will not be shaken. I'm so passionate about this text because I see Christians shaken to the core all the time about all kinds of things. When we look at our lives, you just wonder, like, what are you building your life on? Have you read the Bible? Do you believe the Bible? Do you know what the Bible teaches us? This is bedrock. This is rock-solid truth. This is a truth strong enough to build your whole life on. You can take it to the bank. There's no guessing here. There's no hoping here. This is a promise from the living God. Everything works for good for those that love God. Everything works for good. Every heartache, every disappointment, every seemingly meaningless and mundane thing has purpose and it will work for your good. Listen, life is so unspeakably difficult that if we don't have this kind of bedrock promise, what do you do? What do you do? You are shaken. And you look for anything and everything to hold you and to comfort you and to strengthen you and to give you hope. But look no further. Be this person and trust this promise. Be the person that loves God. Put all these other loves aside and trust this promise that though you may not be able to see how it all works out, God has promised everything will work together for your good. Now, this is where it gets a little deep, so I need you to stay with me. Can you just scoot to the edge of your seat a little bit? No, I'm very serious. Would you just scoot to the edge of your seat a little bit? I need you to be alert. I need you to be dialed in. I need you to, your eyes to be looking at the scripture here. Because how does it work together for good? How? How can, how can Paul say that? And, and perhaps a better first question is, what is the good? What is good? We, we might be tempted this morning just to define good in any old way that we want to. Re, Pastor, really? God works all things out together for my good? And you may have in your mind a preconceived idea about what is good. But you and I don't define what is good. God does. So when Paul, inspired by the Spirit, wrote that God works all things out together for good, he had in mind what the good was. It wasn't just filling the blank good. It wasn't just whatever you want the good to be. And he answers in the next verse what the good is, but you've got to dig in and pay really close attention and kind of do a little grammar work to get it. So are you with me? Are you ready? Look at verse 29. Four. Just pause there. Do you see it? 
Look at verse 29. For, in verse 29, Paul says for, and what he's doing with that word for is he's grounding his argument. He's grounding his promise. He's saying God works all things out together for good based upon what I'm about to say. In other words, you can take it to the bank because of what I'm about to say. It's bedrock truth. You don't have to doubt it. You can build your life upon it based upon what I'm about to say. For I'm about to ground my argument. I'm I'm about to prove what I just said. That's what he's saying here. For he's grounding it. He's undergirding it. He's saying this is not a willy-nilly little promise that you just paint on a you just you just paint on some you know little painting and hang on your wall and it has no context and it has no substance to it. You don't just define what the good is. No, no, he defines what the good is for verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Now we'll talk, let me just pause there. We'll talk more about that next week. But here what we just see is that God before the foundation of the world had a plan and had a purpose for our life. The Bible is using language to say he foreknew it, so he knew it before it happened. He predestined it. He, he purposed this in our life. He set a good destiny in place for us. We'll talk more about that next week. But now what, what was it that he foreknew and that he predestined? This is the answer of what the good is. Don't miss this. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So the only way Paul in verse 29 can put four there is if what he says actually defines what the good is. So look at it again with me. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In other words, he's saying, look, this is true. You can bank your life on it. You can take it to the grave. This is absolute bedrock. God works all things out together for the good. How do you you know that, Paul? For For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Well, Paul, how does the fact that God predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son undergird this promise? The way it undergirds this promise is that the good is us being conformed to the image of his son. Do you see the connection and understand how that makes sense? Paul Paul gives this outrageous promise. Every moment, every minute, every day, every circumstance, every every heartbreak, every victory, God's going to work it for your good. What's the good? And how, and how, how can that be? How can that be? What's the good and how can that be? He says, for those of whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So, 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 so he says, the reason he can speak with such confidence is that God, before eternity passed, purposed to form and shape you and me into the image of Jesus. And that is how he can say that he works all things out together for good because God was thinking about us being shaped into the image of Jesus before he made us. That's his purpose. That's that's his big plan. That's his big plan. His big plan for you is not who you marry, it's not who you go to, not where you go to college, it's not the job that you work in. Listen to this. God's big plan for you and me is that we would be 
conformed into the image of Jesus. And what Romans 8.28 says is that God uses every heartache, every tragedy, every victory, every minute, moment, and days. He uses it all to shape us into the image of Jesus. You can reread Romans 8.28 this way. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for us being molded into the image of Jesus. We use the big word sanctification to describe this process. God molding us. The Bible says that God is the potter and we're the clay. What that means is that God does not cease to shape us. He's always shaping us. He's the potter, we're the clay, and he uses everything. So, so look back at verse 28 because there's still some questions that we have that we've got to answer here. Verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. How do they just work together? How, how, does, that, how does that happen? How does it just happen? When Philippians 2, verse 13, Paul says this, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In other words, have you ever dumped a puzzle out on the kitchen table? dining room table, it's like a thousand piece puzzle. And you're just like, oh my goodness, there's so many pieces. Have you, have, you ever, have you ever looked at all those broken pieces and seen a picture of your life? Have you ever looked at that puzzle going, that's my life, shattered, shattered. So how does that puzzle get put together? You sit down with a purpose to put it together. And piece by piece, you take the broken pieces, you take the shattered pieces, and you put them in place. And what happens is beautiful. In those big puzzles that have lots of pieces, they take a lot of time. <laughs> they take a lot of tedious and meticulous detail. The, 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 the way we can be confident today that every little thing in our life will work together for good is because God himself is working it for good. He's taking the shattered pieces of our life with his tender touch, with his sovereign hand, and he's putting the shattered pieces of our life back together to a beautiful portrait and puzzle. Ephesians 1 Verse 11 says, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So how can we say all things work together? It's because God is working them all together. It's because he's, he, he, hasn't, he hasn't like created the earth, set it spinning, and then just said, all right, <laughs> spin away earth. No, he's, he's intimately acquainted. He's so intimately acquainted with our lives that the Bible says that not a sparrow falls to the ground apart from him and he knows the numbers of hairs on our head. God wanted us to be confident that nothing is left to chance in our life. He's molding everything. He's using everything that the enemy meant for evil, he's using for good. The cross of Jesus Christ is the most beautiful example of this. 
Wicked, evil men put Jesus to death and yet God transcended all of their sin and all of their wicked, evil intent and he used it for the greatest good in all the universe to purchase his people out of their sin, to set us free. Hallelujah, God can do that in your life. He wanted the central piece of our faith, the cross of Jesus. He wanted that to tell us over and over and over again that God can transcend the evil of other people in your life and use it for good. How much good? Well, how good was the cross? How good is eternal life? How good is forgiveness? How sweet is your relationship with God? God did not want us to miss this. In Hebrews 1 verse 3, it says that, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. God is not a distant, uninterested, uninvolved God. He's holding the whole world in his hand. And when you trust this promise, it leads you to embrace the process. Look at verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the process. God the potter, we're the clay. He's conforming us to the image of his son. He's shaping us. He's molding us. He's using all the broken puzzle pieces to one great end. And the one great end, God's great plan for your life. Students, don't miss this. Listen to this. There's, this is hope. Listen, there's so much liberty. There's so much freedom in coming to terms with knowing God's big plan for your life. You're no longer searching for it in small things. It's settled and you're free to put your hands to whatever you want to do to the glory of God, knowing that his greatest plan in your life is not where you work. It's not, it's being molded into the image of Jesus. And this is the process that you get to embrace. You just, you just get to say to God, God, I'm all in in this process. Holy Spirit, I'm going to cooperate with you. You just search my heart. Show me where sin is. I'll repent quickly. By the power of the Spirit, I'm going to walk in your ways. I'm going to abide in you. I'm going to read your word. I'm going to let you have full reign in my heart. I'm going to cooperate with this process. I'm not going to resist the process, God. I'm not going to neglect the process, God. I'm not going to grow bitter that you're doing this in my life, that you're using the painful things, God, to shape me into the image of Jesus. I'm going to, I'm going to embrace the process. I'm going to cooperate with the process. I'm going all in in this process. I want to become like Jesus. And the promise that he's using everything to mold me into the image of Jesus is what leads me to embrace uh, the process. Why is this God's big plan for our life? Why, why is God so determined to mold you and me into the image of Jesus? It's in the text. Look at it with me, verse 29. Look at it. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Why? Why, why did he predestine us to be conformed to the image of his son? He wanted our lives to look like Jesus. He wanted us to walk like Jesus, talk like Jesus, think like Jesus, feel like Jesus. He wanted us to act like Jesus. And that, listen, that's God's plan for your life. And, and he's not going to stop shaping you into the image of Jesus. And he's so good and he's so powerful that he'll use anything and everything, even the devil's most evil schemes, he's going to use it to accomplish this purpose. Your character being molded in the image of Jesus. Why? Why? Look at the phrase with me. 
in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Who? Jesus. In order that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. What does that mean? Well, in the Old Testament, this idea of being firstborn meant preeminence. It meant supremacy. In the family, the firstborn was the man. Like, he had, he had the honor in the family the firstborn did. So why? Why is he molding us into the image of Jesus? It's because, listen, listen, Jesus is so glorious. Jesus is so unspeakably holy. Jesus is so infinitely good that the Father wanted to set on display Jesus in all of our lives and spread the image of Jesus all over the world by shaping you and me and you and me and you and me. Jesus is so good. He is so glorious. He's so unspeakably majestic that God purposed, I'm going I'm to shape you into the image of Jesus. I'm going to shape you into the image of Jesus. I'm going to shape you into the image of Jesus. Why? He's that good. He's that glorious. He's that majestic. So... Um, when you look at this great plan, some of you can feel like, man, I'm not cooperating very well with the plan. When you look at your life, you're like, man, Jesus is not getting that preeminence in my life. Not, 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 like, not like God wants, not like he ought. I just want to encourage you with the concept of a painter. We've just got some different paintings that are just going to scroll on the screen here. And as they scroll, what you're going to see is you're going to see a painting in process. You see this painting in process, just a little slower, hold those images for us to see them a little bit. Because some of you would look like, okay, yeah, like, I feel like my life looks a little more like, okay, you can go ahead to the next one. I feel like my life looks like the one on the left. But what you see is that, listen, God is shaping us and he's molding us and he has a great plan for your life. And his plan is to mold you into the image of Jesus. That's how we can know that everything's going to work together for good. Because God was thinking about this plan for your life before the foundation of the world. He's molding us and shaping us, but he's not yet done. He's just getting started. And so some of us, the image of Jesus looks a little blurry. It's not yet clear, right? You can't look at us and get a glimpse on who Jesus is yet because we're just getting going in the process, right? There, there, there's some rough edges that still need to be sanded off. There's some hard spots in us that still need to be dealt with. And we know, we know that all things work together for good. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For us being molded into the image of Jesus, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. In order that he, King Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. This morning we're going to come to the Lord's Lord's table, Holy Communion. We're going to come to the Lord's Supper. And we're going to be reminded of this great love for us. And we're going to be reminded that God is enjoying the process of shaping us. As you come to Holy Communion today, this is just an opportunity for you to be honest with God. If you need to be broken, you can pray at the prayer station. You can pray here. You can grab a friend and pray with somebody in your community group. 
if the Spirit of God is speaking to you, and you need to become that person today that loves God. Maybe you've just been cruising through life and you've been a good person, but you haven't had a passion, a passionate, genuine love for God. But as you heard today how he loves you, you want to love him back. Come talk to me. I'll just be standing right here, right here at the front. As you guys come to the Lord's table, you come talk to me. You come talk to me. I'll pray with you. Help you take a step of faith into the family of God. Church, it's my hope, it's my prayer that these two verses will become an anchor for the rest of your life. That no matter what comes, you'll be able to say with the psalmist, I won't be greatly shaken because I know God's purpose is going to prevail in my life. No matter what comes. Hallelujah, he's been thinking about me before the foundation of the world. Let's pray and let's ask the Spirit to help us. Father, we pray for your help. Father, thank you for the clarity of your word. Thank you for the power of your promise. We pray that we might embrace this process of being formed into the image of Jesus. I pray for this church that we would fear no evil. For you are with us and you are shaping us. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Before he went to the cross, Jesus was with his disciples and he held the bread and he tore it and he said, this is my body broken for you. And he served it. This morning as you wonder, how can this work for my good? How can that work for my good? How, how, how would God ever shape this for my good in my life? How could it ever come together? Just look at the broken body of Jesus and know that though he died and though he poured out his blood, God raised him from the dead so that we could be free, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could know heaven is ours, relationship with God is ours, and hope in the midst of every tragedy is ours. So you come as you're ready, you come and celebrate communion this morning. Thank you for listening. We trust that God is stirring something special in your heart today. We hope to see you on Sunday very soon. Keep it real. Keep it Jesus.